0: So, Haley, since you've become a mom, how many times have you peed your pants? Ooh, twice. No way, me too. (laughs) Really?
1: (laughs) Hi, and welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. We're friends, pelvic floor physical therapists, moms, and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. And
0: because our conversations are uncensored, they are likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment. (laughs) Oh, man. So, I think... um Besides sex questions, leaking is a hot, hot topic. Yeah, and moms
1: want to pee their pants. Like, no. despite, what's that movie, the Adam Sandler movie, where she's like, if peeing your pants is cool, then I'm Miles Davis. <laughs> I don't know any. Billy Madison. <laughs> I <laughs> don't not know that. <laughs> Girl, I know no movie references. Oh none, my gosh. Unless it's like The Notebook or <sighs> Disney movies. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, for me, peeing my pants in pregnancy and even postpartum was not a thing. And I was like, yes, awesome. Now I'm a pelvic floor PT and I'm never going to pee my pants. And like, wow, well, would like totally be mortified if I ever peed my pants. So the two times I've peed my pants have happened in the last two months.
0: And you are how pregnant right now? 32 weeks? Almost 30. Yeah, almost
1: 33 Second pregnancy. Second pregnancy. And I had like a breakdown the first time. The caveat is, and and I actually have had this, I had had this conversation with like my patients before and being like, we have to think about all the things, all the circumstances that were surrounding that event. And it was just one time and don't beat yourself up for it. But I was like crying. Yeah. (laughs) Because I was like, this is predictive of postpartum bladder incontinence and... Bladder incontinence is associated with postpartum depression and like all of these, all of these things. And so the situation was I was like running late for work. My, my toddler would like not get in the car at like a totally full bladder and was like, so obviously it's when you're running late. Obviously it's when you're stressed out and I'm trying to put him in his car seat. So I pick him up. He's probably like close to 40 pounds now and I'm like lifting him and I sneeze oh that is like (laughs) the perfect mix it was like the perfect storm I feel like there's been moments with like a couple sneezes in a row or like a heavy lift where it's like ooh, I could feel but nothing ever came out this was like a good amount of pee so much I had to go inside and like change my clothes yeah (laughs) I fully cried all the way to work (laughs) oh man (laughs) And was like, yeah, I like had to really just reevaluate myself and be like, you know what, this is this is okay, But it was definitely eye opening to just like how impactful that could be on your life.
0: I am weird in the way that I love to experience like pains or symptoms that I treat clients for because you understand when you're experiencing it, you understand it so much better. But I never had a problem with leaking throughout my three pregnancies. My oldest and youngest are three years and three months apart. So it was bing, bing, bing. Um, Never even felt like I was close to losing control until I was almost three years postpartum with my youngest last spring. And deployed husband, lots of stress. We were getting ready to move. Um, doing a ton of house renovations by myself. Um, and then we had this big wood chip pile and I was shoveling oh, yeah. wood chips for, I think I it was like three hours. <laughs> it was huge. Like three hours a day, I was shoveling wood chips and my body's not used to that movement or that long doing mm-hmm. that movement. And I came in the house and of course my kids were going nuts and I yelled at them. I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> like, it, it, like, stopped me in my tracks. Oh, and my I gosh. was just like, what just happened? And it's funny, because it relates to how Haley and I treat people through postural restoration. I know my back was on like my back hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, that shoveling, like bending movement and then lifting that weight. All those repetitions, my pelvis was completely like in that anterior tilt. My Mm -hmm. back was driving the show, and I could feel the front of my pelvic floor the front half in kind of a weak position like it felt weaker Mm -hmm. and then just the pressure of yelling which ironically both times that's happened to me both times I was yelling I'm not (laughs) sure what
1: that says about me but. but yeah it's a good it's a gut check I guess what is really really cool about what what we do with postural restoration is understanding that it's more than the pelvic floor. And so how our body is lining up, asymmetries that exist in our body, emotional tension that's in our body. Nervous ab- system n- involvement. Yeah. Um, yeah, the positions that our body are in, other pain areas in our in our body. You know, I was picking up cam, I could totally feel my neck and shoulders were up in my ears. And so that affects our ability to regulate control. Had I gone to like your work that day and done a million Kegels, Being like, oh, my pelvic floor must be getting weak now. Baby's like pressing on it. I Probably would have just perpetuated either pain or discomfort or imbalance. And really ended up blowing a whole bunch of balloons that week. And balloons are just tools that we use to kind of help people learn how to regulate pressure. But I actually did a lot of work on, yeah, getting pelvic floor to actually relax better. And getting my shoulders to relax and getting my neck to relax. And then it really didn't happening again. And so it was like, don't, don't be too hard on yourself. Don't blame that pelvic floor. Don't always think that that pelvic floor is like totally the the driver of everything. It's like, no, let's look at this whole picture and see what the system needs. Right. Mm -hmm. And I
0: think The postural restoration approach is also awesome because your pelvic floor has like 16 or so muscles. I can't remember the exact number. And they're all likely not tight or they're all likely not weak. And maybe they're weak and tight or lengthened and weak or
1: whatever. Yeah. Or Um, just the timing and coordination.
0: Yeah. And so it divides it if you if you imagine you're looking into a pelvis from the bottom you have like a diamond so your pubic bone is the top your tailbone's the bottom and then you have your sit bones and the way we treat in our framework for thinking about the pelvic floor is dividing that into front and back and left and right. So there's quadrants of your pelvic floor and your hip rotation and your pelvic position on your hip and your spinal rotation are all affecting the position of those muscles in your pelvic floor along with your diaphragm and your ribs and everything
1: else. And I think sometimes like when we look at pictures of the pelvic floor muscles or pictures of the pelvis, there are lots of muscles, and we think it's this very like large space. I think even some of the models that we have in the clinic sort of give this false sense of like how large that area is. But really, those muscles aren't that big. Like, yes, they. if you kind of put your hand on your pubic bone in the front and on your tailbone in the back, and you like look and see how far apart that is, it's really not that far apart. And then you go on one sit bone, And then the other sit bone, and you see how far apart that is. Again, it's really not that far apart. When when we assess those pelvic floor muscles, when I first did my first pelvic floor class, I was actually surprised that like, yeah, this area is really not huge. And so we have to consider the bigger, more powerful muscles that attach on that pelvis and their influence on how those muscles work like our inner thigh muscles, so our groin muscles, like our hamstring muscles, like our hip flexors and our quads and our back and our abs. Glutes. Yeah. All those those all those all hip muscles, they are going to influence the efficiency and the function of that pelvic floor so much that if we get too obsessed with that pelvic floor, we're going to go crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. And thinking about again that postural restoration approach so when i'm working with people and they're jumping and they're losing control jumping or running right that arched back and that forward pelvis and those ribs that are flared forward causing that diaphragm to flatten and increase pressure down you can see you know in that position i called it the crack egg if you Think of your rib cage and your pelvis as an Easter egg, the top and the bottom. Once you crack that egg, you are not as efficient at managing your intra abdominal pressure. Your abs aren't on board, um, which help control and check the diaphragm, stuff like that. But when you're in that extension position, that is pregnancy, right? right. Yeah, totally. Your, the front half of your pelvic floor is in a lengthened position. So if people are jumping or running and they have excessive spinal extension and their abs aren't working, you can see why your pelvic floor, those anterior or the front half of your pelvic floor is not in a good position to withhold against that impact and pressure, which can cause you
1: to leak. Sometimes when people aren't necessarily as familiar with what their anatomy looks like, that visual is kind of confusing what's long, what's tight, what's short. It's hard because I think we're both it like is. really visual people. So when mm-hmm. you're explaining it in words, it's challenging. Yeah. <laughs> so how I kind of explain it sometimes, especially when you know leaking has been going on for a while, if your butthole is in the back quadrant and your urethra and your vagina is in the front quadrant, the baby came out the front half. They filled up that whole area, but they came through the front half. They didn't come through the back half, because there's no hole for them to come out back there, even though sometimes people have a lot of pressure and even tears that come into the back half. But if you're having leaking and you are having troubles going poop, they're connected. Yes. And that's the visual tight butthole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Stretched urethra, right? Yep. So now we, can't, or vagina or whatever, you can't get good activation in the front. Because the back is winning, so you're not letting your poop out but you can't hold your pee in. And that I see time after time after time. And so getting body in a position where we can relax the back half, relax that anus, relax those pelvic floor muscles in the back, now we're in a better position to engage the muscles in the front. But that doesn't come from keggling in the front. Or that doesn't come from activating pelvic floor muscles overall. It comes from getting things lining up a little bit better. And if you follow any
0: pelvic floor PTs on Instagram or social media, you probably have heard the term butt clenchers, right? And that makes a lot more sense to me in that postural restoration viewpoint, because those glute muscles, the glute max covers the back half of our pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So if we are clenching our glutes all the time, because maybe we don't have stability elsewhere, like your abs or wherever, that makes sense. If you're clenching your glutes all the time, why you're going to be constipated or, you know, maybe have hemorrhoids or fissures or leak because the front half then is Lengthened, mm-hmm.
1: Addre- yeah. Addressing the constipation, gut health is huge. Yes, but I think sometimes we will jump right into a probiotic, or we'll jump right into managing gut health before we're doing like thinking about the muscles and the biomechanics of the whole thing. So that's where like a squatty potty, right? Which we you know love and use, and everybody who has one loves it and doesn't want to take poops without it, um, but it's also a valuable tool for helping that bladder reorganize. Mm-hmm. And so even getting that bladder to empty all the way or getting all your pee out, which can help prevent leaks also, that getting that pelvis in a position where knees are higher than hips helps to relax the, the back of that pelvic floor so the front of that pelvic floor can engage better and it, it all works together
0: better. Right, And going back to your Kegel comment, so when you're doing Kegels and your pelvis is not in a great position or your hips are not in a great position because they share a lot of muscles, your Kegeling is probably not going to achieve what you want it to achieve because you're going to be working those already overactive muscles
1: and not the
0: ones that need it.
1: So if you're sitting in your chair right now and you arch your back and you kind of like rock your weight forward so it's more on the front of your pelvis and you try to contract your pelvic floor, you're going to feel it probably more near your butt. There was actually a research study that came out that said that the best cue for maximum pelvic floor contraction was actually the cue to stop yourself from passing gas. So closing your, like contracting around your anus. So that's going to generate the strongest, quote unquote, strongest contraction, which makes a lot of sense because if most people are in a bit of that uh, extended position, which is going to place the back of their pelvic floor in a sort of tighter position, a more optimal position to actually engage, yeah, no duh. yeah, And so then you're getting a weaker contraction when you cue that person to grab a marble with their vagina or you know, draw smoothies, drop their vagina or their urethra. And that's a whole other conversation because I think some people don't even know where their urethra is. <laughs> right, right. But contracting the front part of the pelvic floor is not going to feel as strong as contracting around the back because it's because of the position. And as that begins to balance out through working on various positioning things and breathing activities, now I can engage contract and engage and lift and feel all those muscles working together as a unit versus this disconnected team.
0: Right. Yeah. It's the position of your pelvis and hips and spine really are going to determine how you're Kegeling. Mm -hmm. So so knowing that is important.
1: Yeah. So if you kind of rock back and feel your sit bones and take that weight more on your sit bones, it's usually a little easier to feel the front of that pelvic floor engage. And then if you come back forward again, the back and so. You could lean side to side, get different sides of it. And I think really the thing that not a lot of pelvic floor PTs are talking about is asymmetry. Mm -hmm. Maybe the problem in those pelvic floor muscles, particularly in the front, so in in, in the anterior pelvic floor that's stopping your pee from coming out, maybe it's not that the front altogether is weak. Maybe it's that the front on one side... Is doing too much, and that it's the front on the other side is not doing enough, and so then when those muscles contract, we're getting like this pull one way, right? Which still can let pee drip. Mm -hmm. So then that urethra and that closure of those muscles that stops our pee, pulling it to one side, probably the right, and not letting yeah, not getting this good good even closure, or we're trying to do something that requires us to like go back and forth and so instead of like if we're say like side shuffling or we're skipping or hopping or jumping that's like a bilateral thing where we've got to go back and forth and back and forth but our pelvic floor doesn't know how to shift from one side to the other we're going to get this over pull to one side and then eventually that's not going to be enough or it's going to tire out so then we can't hold our pee in anymore.
0: What would you say is your most common advice for people who are leaking because of stress? So impact, Mm -hmm. sneezing, coughing, laughing.
1: Learn how to balance the tension in their pelvic floor. Usually it's 98% of the time it's learning how to release the tension in those muscles. Particularly in the back. But... Uh, If you think about a bicep curl, did we talk about this in the last episode? No. Okay.
0: No bicep curl.
1: If you think about a bicep curl and you are doing bicep curls in the gym, probably everyone's seen that person in the gym who's curling from like two inches from the top to the top. (laughs) Right? I can imagine that. And so if you're doing (laughs) pelvic floor contractions and you're drawing from sort of a semi-tensed position To more up, and you can feel that drawing up of the pelvic floor. You're that guy. (laughs) You're that guy in the gym. The mini bicep curls. Is doing the mini bicep curls. Uh, Anyone who's done any sort of like, I guess, weightlifting. um, So a hang clean is when you're standing and you're holding the barbell and you're trying to take that weight from like standing with the weight at your thighs and trying to bring it up and like bring it up into the air. And then get sort of under it, get under it and kind of catch it. So that's a hang clean. And then a power clean is when you're all the way on the ground. So the weight's on the ground and you're squatted down and you're trying to do that same motion, but you're starting from the ground. You will be able to do significantly more weight from the ground because all of those muscles that you need to generate that power are so, like your hamstrings, your glutes are in a lengthened position as you squat all the way down. So they're from a long position and now they're contracting and shortening. And so if our pelvic floor never gets the chance to go into that lengthened state, it's not going to be able to generate as much power on the up because it can only go a little bit. So if we're starting at a five and need to go to a 10 to stop P from coming out on a jump, then we're only going to be able to generate five. If we can take that pelvic floor down to a zero, then it can go 10 which is more than enough energy that it needs to keep our pee inside. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And I like your trampoline. Don't, don't you have an analogy of mm-hmm. egg in a trampoline? Yeah. Or cement? Yeah. Is so, it
1: cement? So if you're, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. That one's good. No, y- you will tell it better than I do. So if you have like a water balloon and you drop it on a trampoline, it's probably not going to break. So you're not going to get water spraying through your trampoline. If you drop a water balloon on concrete, it's going to break and pee's going to go or water. (laughs) So it's
0: not always because your pelvic floor is weak. It can be
1: because it's holding too tight, too constant. It won't soften down and then be able to like spring back up and re-engage and and bounce. So, yeah, learning how to let your pelvic floor bounce. Yeah, control
0: and lengthen mm -hmm. and then contract. Yeah. That
1: full range of motion is so
0: important. So weak and strong, they're tricky words because they don't tell us a whole lot. You can have a weak muscle that's both in a shortened position or a lengthened position. The goal is to optimize the movement and the function of the pelvic floor or whatever you're working on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My my background before pelvic floor PT was like orthopedics primarily. I like to do a lot of post-op ACL injuries. So what's the first thing that you do after you have knee surgery? You're not going right out and like strengthening that muscle. You're just getting that knee to move through its full range motion so that the muscles around the knee have that motion available so that by the time that healing has happened and you're ready to do explosive movements, you're ready to do power movements, you're ready to jump and run, we're not limited by a stiff joint. Mm -hmm. And I think there is an incredible amount of pelvic floor stiffness that exists in that postpartum period, whether that's because of stress, whether that's because of not sleeping, whether that's because of not getting enough water, because of being scared of what's happening. And just like, then the reflex is like, I'm going to just hold these muscles tight all the time because I'm scared something's going to fall out. And someone told me that my cervix could fall out of my body. So I'm just going to hold this all tight. And it's like not, it's not yeah. accurate. <laughs> yeah. So going back to leaking, what are other
0: reasons that people leak other than stress incontinence?
1: So there is urgency incontinence. So that is basically like key in the door syndrome, right? Where you feel totally fine. You get home from work or home from wherever, you put your key in the door to try to open the front door and then all of a sudden your body's like oh crap I gotta pee now and you're trying to make it to the bathroom and you can't make it you don't make it so that's urgency incontinence uh, and then there's just sometimes a mix like I think the third
0: category is mixed right you can have both mm-hmm. together
1: mm-hmm. and then there's overflow incontinence which is I feel like no I guess it's not the exact same thing as urge incontinence, but overflows like bladder is just so full, it can't hold anymore, which can happen postpartum. So whether you had a C-section or whether you had a vaginal birth, sometimes our muscle awareness or our, like awareness of what's happening in our pelvic floor and our bladder gets really screwed up. So whether it's nerve tension or it's a nerve injury or because of the surgery or swelling, we just don't know. Or things being stretched. Yeah, we can't feel that our bladder is full or or that urethra is so swollen that it it can't let any pee out. Then all of a sudden that bladder is like busting and then poof, it empties eventually.
0: So what's normal? Normal urinary habits. The bladder fills at what, 15 drops a minute?
1: Yeah, it fills like gradually and slowly. So uh, our first urge to go should come when our bladder is about two-thirds of the way full, but you should be able to defer that urge. So that first sensation that you have to go pee, you should be able to be like, I'm just kind of going to finish this thing and then I'll go. The It's normal to go every two to four hours and zero to one time at night. And I always kind of caveat that zero to one time at night because One is kind of normal in pregnancy, but so many pregnant people that I treat and so many older women that I treat go so much more than that at nighttime. And because it's not maybe causing them problems in the day yet, they don't think it's a big deal, but it's definitely a precursor to things for things to come potentially if you don't take care of it. And then you want, you can count your
0: pee, like how long Mm -hmm. your urinary, or when you urinate, how Mm -hmm. long you're urinating. Mm -hmm. And what is it? Eight to 10 seconds is like your goal
1: or a normal range. Yeah. So like a nice solid stream for, yeah, I kind of like have this like eight second rule. Like, okay. If it's like a nice solid stream for eight seconds, that's pretty decently full bladder. But, yeah, if you're consistently getting a bladder that's like really quick little peas or long peas that are like trickling, that's also a problem. Mm-hmm. Because our bladder muscle should be strong enough to really get that bladder empty fairly quickly and that it not be like either a trickle or really slow, because that could also be a sign that those pelvic floor muscles are kind of tense, not letting that pee out. Right. Um, yeah. So, and it should be. All the all out and all done, and then another type of urinary incontinence is actually post void leaking. So you finish going pee, you think you're done, you stand up to go, you know, stand up, pull up your pants, wash your hands, and like pee falls into your pants. And not usually a ton, but it's like, well, shoot, like that sucks. And um, that's can be a sign of a tense pelvic floor. That could also be a sign of bladder prolapse. Um or yeah, just a just a pelvic floor that wasn't fully letting all that pee out. Which is why um usually I like to recommend sit, relax, don't push your pee out, just let those pelvic floor muscles relax. That teaches that bladder muscle that it contracts to empty the pee and then take a few breaths there. Kind of re- yeah, just chill, keep the door shut. Just, like, ignore the little fingers coming under the door. <laughs> <laughs> or the banging. Yeah. Or the screaming kids and you're not yeah. really sure what they're doing. Right, because that's all going to, like, tense up those those muscles. So, yeah, there's so many ways that moms can get into bad, bad peeing habits um, that can really also kind of set that system up to not be as effective.
0: Right, because the bladder system is highly driven by the nervous system and nerve pathways. So you can train yourself to be going too often. You can be training yourself to not be voiding as much as needed. Um, You can train yourself to withhold pee or, you know, just it's, it it is developed off of habits. So you want to create good habits so that, you create good function
1: mm-hmm. and that's always been my, been more me it's like I've been like that camel that camel or like I like to call me it too. like a nurse's bladder like all, like any of my patients that are nurses or have worked in like healthcare of any kind right where you're just kind of busy all day you're like and maybe especially like my hospital nurses that are like I don't want to pee in this hospital bathroom it's gross <laughs>
0: But I've been like dang proud of my ability to hold. Like, yeah, my pee
1: for like, 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 are, like eight this, to ten like, hours. Turbo strong, like super powered <laughs> bladder, and I think like that ability to have that high capacity in our bladder is good.
0: Maybe we just not don't every day. Like
1: overstretch it. So now we've got this sort of super flexible bladder that the the muscle then can't be as effective for emptying yeah so it's definitely like finding that right balance so it's so in general I think a good rule of thumb is two to four hours about eight seconds of good flow not having any pee leak after that when you stand up. And then being able to calmly walk to the bathroom when you go. So you're not rushing and pulling your clothes off on the way there. And so that's a sign of a nice, normal, functioning, healthy bladder. Zero to one times at night. Ideally zero. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of women who like, and my son still sleeps terribly at night, Uh, being up multiple times at night, we're just like, I'm awake. I guess I'll go, I guess I'll go pee now. That'll help me go back to bed because maybe there's some pee in there, and that'll keep me awake. That sets us up for like more of that frequency than we need. So then that bladder's learning to go more often. And then even when your baby starts sleeping through the night, then your body's like, oh well, we used to pee four times at night. May as well wake keep you up, and you're night. like, no, I want to sleep. The baby's sleeping. Definitely, kind of. Whoops, having those those good habits will be good.
0: So, for moms or any anyone with a pelvic floor, if they are dealing with leaking, what are some things that you would say could help them continue to be active? Products, pads, maybe absorbent underwear, mm-hmm. stuff like that while they're rehabbing, hopefully seeing a pelvic floor PT to correct the issues. Yeah,
1: I think that's like a really cool topic, and you may also have opinions on this, so I'm I'm curious to hear your opinion too, is like leaking urine while you exercise, if even at higher intensity exercise, does that mean that you should completely stop? Absolutely not. Exercise is good for you. Mm -hmm. And so do we want to understand maybe why that's happening? Is there things that can be done to help that go away? 100%. Yes. however, sometimes in the interim doesn't mean that we need to go down to zero. So yeah, there are tons of products on the on the market. and I think sometimes pelvic floor PTs hate on companies like Tenna or uh, is it poise Poise and like those bladder you know pad companies, but it's like, well, if that means that someone can comfortably live their life, we need it, but I, that shouldn't be the only the only solution that's presented. And so, if exercise is for more than just recovery postpartum, and it's like, no, this helps me feel good, this helps me feel balanced, de stress, yeah, all of those get things, those like steam off, yeah, yeah, like absolutely. So you don't want to use period pads for urine. That's the big, that's the big thing. So what's becoming really popular is like. The absorbent underwear. Yeah. They're awesome. They're awesome, but they're not all meant for urine.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a difference in the underwear. I knew about the pads. Mm Mm-hmm. So
1: NYX... uh, No, not NYX. There's... NYX is a brand. THINX. Thinx is a brand. THINX is period. THINX is for period. and I, I believe NYX is also... It might be for, like, light bladder leaks. So if, like, a drop or two is not the end of the world... But for more bladder leaks that would happen with activity, I believe that Thinx has like a sister underwear that's for bladders.
0: (laughs) Man, I'm yawning a lot.
1: I'm telling you. It's uh, been a long weekend.
0: (laughs) Well, it's like when the kids wake up at six and you're not used to it. I know all the moms are out there like, six, that's sleeping in, but... Yeah, we were up I'm in a different early. season where my kids usually
1: let me sleep and in long. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to too. <laughs> <laughs> I got to like grab my phone and look that up because the materials that are in that absorbent product, because pee is very acidic, more acidic than our vagina. Even though our vagina and our vulva is quite acidic also, it's it is more acidic than that. And so that can cause some skin breakdown and skin irritation that can actually make urinary frequency or urinary incontinence worse, make it harder for those muscles to engage appropriately. So, so doing a little bit of research on some of those reusable products for, for bladder leaks. Also something like a poison presa or like a pessary, which can offer support to a cystocele, so bladder prolapse, if that's contributing to urinary leaking or or yeah like if even if there's just like urethral laxity sometimes that like poise and can be helpful for that too
0: well and you yeah just to be clear the using period products for urine can cause a lot of irritation Mm -hmm. so that's why you don't want to use period
1: pads Mm -hmm. because blood is more basic um and so the the chemicals essentially that they use to like draw the blood away from your body and sort of neutralize that the blood is different than what is needed to draw away urine and neutralize urine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like content heavy like, yeah this is like not as fun <laughs> as talking about sex <laughs> no <laughs> maybe we should just talk about sex so i heard a really good tip um from a pelvic floor pt i'll put well, if I can remember their name, I'll we'll put it in the show notes, I guess. That it, when you're pregnant, or I guess anytime, and you feel a sneeze coming on, is to relax your butt and look up, not your sneeze, like your nose goes up to sneeze, and that that would potentially create less downward pressure versus if like you tucked your head in. And so I tried it the other day. Oh, I, just, I guess. And so that it's like mean. it like dissociates your neck from your pelvic floor a little bit right so if like as you sneeze you're like tightening your neck tightening your abs tightening pressure down lifting your head and sneezing up actually helps you still be able to like lift pelvic floor appropriately well i'm it
0: probably doesn't close your throat as much
1: which would like decrease that intra-abdominal pressure so i thought it was like a really cool tip that I'd never heard before. Yeah. So I've been I've been using that a little bit too, and it's helpful. All right, so that's my kind of fun, cool tip. Addie. do you have any other good bladder health, bladder leaking tips?
0: Here's one that would not necessarily make a lot of sense unless you knew how the bladder worked. So a lot of moms will, they think not drinking as much water will help with their leaking because mm-hmm. it makes sense, right? You don't drink... Water, you're not going to leak as much because there's not as much water in your system. However, that is not always the case because if you're not hydrated enough, you can cause your urine to be very concentrated, which actually irritates your bladder and causes you to either have to go pee more often or it can contribute to leaking. Yeah. So make
1: sure you stay hydrated, especially if you're working out and especially in the summertime when you're just sweating crap ton and so there's less fluid in general so we're like double dehydration yeah yeah cool
0: and then with the irritated bladder topic um you might want to consider what you're eating and drinking because common foods and drinks that moms enjoy um, oh, coffee and wine <laughs> Don't tell me. (laughs) Can be irritants for the bladder. So if you wake up, I notice this with myself, I'll I'll drink coffee first, which is not what you should do. You should always start with water. (laughs) But I'll drink coffee and then I'm in a rush to get out the door to get to the workout and I'm not drinking enough water and then I get there and I feel like I have to pee all the time. So caffeine is an irritant. And Pot- potential potentially potentially. Mm-hmm. And
1: wine can be citrus foods. Mm-hmm. I've heard like some people who are sensitive to like dairy that will can cause some bladder irritation or gluten or just different different types of food sensitivities can really flare up that bladder.
0: Yeah, I think in our Herman and Wallace book, there was a study on the caffeine and it was like very specific. I, I just did a talk on this, so it's fresh it was like 204 milligrams like
1: (laughs) that's how much you that's like the max you can handle
0: yeah for like the irritant properties or whatever like mom how much would
1: that be would that be more than a cup
0: well it depends how strong your coffee Mm, is
1: cold brew a
0: a cup to two cups if you have weaker coffee Mm -hmm. i think it's about 100 milligrams a cup Okay. Unless all you're right. drinking the stuff I make. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> Extra <laughs> so, shots of espresso. all that. Good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. So anyway, things to think about and consider, you know, back to the whole body approach. It's not just your pelvic floor. It's your diet and your stress mm-hmm. and your habits mm-hmm. and your nervous system and yeah. all the things that are playing a role.
1: Yeah. I tried to bookend for sure. So meaning like I'll wake up. I'll take my mug that I'm going to put my coffee in and I just fill it with water so that I'm not allowed to fill it with coffee until it's empty. Um, And that also reminds me to like take my prenatals, which I'm bad about remembering and you know, that kind of thing. Um, And then once that coffee cup is empty, whether it's what like I'm at home still, or if I'm at work before I can fill it up again with coffee, I fill it up with water again. And it's sort of like this flush out sort of method I like that. Cold brew is actually less acidic. I don't know if it's less caffeine. I think it may even be more caffeine. I think it's more caffeine. But if it's the acidity that's causing problems, it can be less irritating potentially to a bladder. So that's kind of fun that that's a a cool thing right now. Oh, this pregnancy. So the other time I leaked pee was not like a huge amount of pee, but it was like kind of post-voiding. And... It's from La Cro- drinking LaCroix. Like we, <gasps>
0: carbonated oh. carbonated beverages is on the list of that was potential never irritants. a
1: problem for me, and I think I like had I drank one pretty fast and then had like so much frequency, like I was peeing and it like kind of hurt a little bit to pee, like within thirty minutes of drinking it, and and then I w- had like some post void like leakage. And I think it was just because that irritated my bladder so bad. So I like didn't drink it for a few days and then I drank it again because I love them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's like we have them at the house all the time. And it was the same thing. Not quite as bad as the first time, but and I probably drank it a bit slower, but it definitely ticked off my bladder where it would have never done that before. And I think pregnancy is maybe just exacerbating that. Yeah, so carbonation, soft drinks, artificial sweeteners, like... Oh, that was a big uh, one, uh, artificial sweeteners. Like, I haven't had, like, a diet soda in a long time, but... Because we drink so much (laughs) LaCroix. But I can imagine that that... If the LaCroix was bad, that drinking a Diet Coke would probably be really not fun.
0: Yeah, things to think about, Mm. mom life. So, recapping... If you're having any problems with leaking in any capacity, pee or poop, we did not talk about fecal leaking today. I think we can spend a whole... Yeah, that's a whole other topic. Mm -hmm. Please, please find a pelvic floor PT, get a referral, do your own research, find one in some capacity. Luckily, telehealth is a thing now. So if they're not in your area, hopefully Mm -hmm. that will help. Don't use period products for urinary leakage. Make sure that you're hydrating mm-hmm. enough. How and much did you drink? I've heard half of your body weight in ounces. Yeah. How and I've heard that? like 90. 80 to 90 is like an average. Yeah.
1: I kind of use half body ounces, weight. yeah. Of ounces. Just because then it's like relative to the person's size. And like, I was always confused last pregnancy, like, well, okay, they say pregnant people should drink more water and breastfeeding people should drink even more water, but using like, okay, I'm gaining weight because of this pregnancy. I guess that, you know, that it's then relative, like a relative increase. And so if you're, a, you know, if your body is larger in size or larger muscle, or just heavier mass, then you need to drink more water. Um, you have more, more to process. And, and then if you're a tinier person, smaller person, you need a little bit less Less water.
0: And if you're not used to drinking water and you're trying to increase your uptake, here's a good tip from one of our Stroller Strong moms Mm -hmm. is a dietitian. And Mm -hmm. she did a talk and she said ten ounces a week. So increase, like have a baseline. The Mm -hmm. first week you're gonna increase that ten ounces a day. For a week, the next week you increase it another 10 ounces until you reach your goal in ounces. And does that so, help
1: you not have like as much of that urinary frequency that kind of comes with increasing water intake? Well, from the
0: pelvic floor perspective, it's easier, I think, for your system yeah. to gradually drink more water versus mm-hmm. like... My bad habit of being like, oh, I need to
1: drink a lot of water I just today. just chug this down and then pee like 20 times because my body's like, oh, we have water for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Uh-huh. Um, so I think, you know, not shocking your body
0: into good habits. Is yeah, probably that's good probably smart. <laughs> um, But yeah, making sure you stay hydrated, mm-hmm. maybe staying away or, you know, focusing on some of those irritating foods and drinks that you mm-hmm. could
1: decrease. Or just be like me and just do the washout. Oh, or just wash out before counteract with good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but be you know be reasonable.
0: <laughs> don't Kegel yourself to death because that mm-hmm, might not be mm-hmm. probably likely is not the answer. Mm-hmm. And being aware of some of those others like stress and
1: yeah, how much you are yelling at your kids. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> new movements you've done lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, because your pelvic floor is just reacting to the position of your hips and pelvis and spine and vice versa. You know your mm-hmm. muscles bring your bones into those positions so it's that nervous system is controlling everything Mm
1: -hmm. relax your glutes
0: no butt clenching Mm
1: -hmm. i think that's that balloon knot we just need to remember that for every relax
0: Relax your balloon knot that's my new favorite thing (laughs) that's all the tips that we can do in a voice format without demonstration huh i think that's about all our mom brains can handle today all right so just remember to know your bush is to love your bush
1: You can communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush Podcast, as well as our email account, which is podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment, and share all the bushy love. It's probably pretty obvious, that our episodes are edited and produced by Addy and myself. (laughs) And our music is provided by
0: Blockhead.